0: Well, it's really good to be home, man, and it's good to be back here. You know, at the church where I'm at, there's one statement we say all the time that our lead pastor says probably more than he says anything else. And it's this, is that you are made for more than possessions and promotions and your kids are made for more than straight A's in soccer. Guys, every one of us is living for something, and sadly, many of us are living for the American dream, and we believe that's the end-all, be-all of life. But the question I have for you today is, what if God wanted to do more in you and through you than you could have ever imagined? You know, when I was sitting here, well... This part of the building wasn't here. When I was sitting back there, uh, I would have never imagined what God would do in my life, how he would lead me, how he would guide me. Man, I talked with Adam up here a little bit ago. I was like, man, just pray during this sermon that I don't bust out in tears because I've been like bawling like a baby up here just seeing how good God is. Man, I grew up here. I'm not one of the pastors here, but I got ordained here. I'm one of the pastors at Mercy Hill Church in Greensboro. But if you ask me what my home church is, man, OBC's home. Man, OBC's home to me. I got saved in the corner before it was the corner when it was just the student room. Man, I got baptized, um, I guess over here now. Um, And the guy who was baptizing me right before looked at me and said, hey, don't worry, you're not going to feel a thing. I'll just hold you under till the bubble stops. I'm not going to say his name, but his initials are Ryan Murphy, okay? (laughs) So that happened. I I took all my mission trips here, man, really got involved here, got plugged in. I served on just about every team here except for worship, which you don't want me to in the first place. Um, But this is home for me. The first sermon I ever preached was in this room, and it was just as steep. Like, Pastor Steve had me come and preach on a Saturday to him because I was preaching to Switch that morning. So he sat like halfway back, which is a yellow notepad taking notes. That's intimidating. <laughs> so if this bombs today, you can blame him because I learned everything from Pastor Steve. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, and I am just so glad to be here, and I'm so thankful for you and the impact you have had on my life, whether or not you realize it. Um you've got your Bibles, today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. Adam, you better start praying, man. Uh, and today we're going to see that God is on the move in and through you. Man, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16. And today we're going to see that God is on the move in and through you. Let me give you some context here for the book of Ephesians. For the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and encouraging them and challenging them in their faith. And in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul explains the gospel, and then he gets to one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Ephesians 3.20, which says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. mean, when I think about this verse, I think about what God is doing here at OBC. The way God has moved here in incredible ways and continues to. I've been here since 2010 and seen the way God has just blown the roof off this place. The life change that's happened here. The people who have been involved here and just what God is able to do. But here's the thing, as much as God is doing here and as much as God is on the move here, I really believe that God wants to do that in your personal life and that God wants to do things in and through you that will absolutely blow your mind. So today, that's what we're going to unpack from Ephesians chapter 4. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility, and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Church, we have to understand that unity in the church is found in the unity of the Spirit. Here in the book of Ephesians, Paul starts a transition from chapter one through three, where he's talking about theology, talking about the gospel, to start talking about practicality. He's shifting to say, hey, this is from what, this is what the gospel is to this is what the gospel means for us. But before we get into how the gospel plays out for daily life, I want to make something very clear to every one of us. Because I think we all struggle with this at times. You have to get your identity first and your activity flows from there. Like your activity flows from your identity What Paul is saying here in chapter 4 and the rest of the book of Ephesians is if you really understand the gospel, then you will do this. Then you will act this way. Then you will do this. Not you do this to understand the gospel. Because if you try to get your activity in front of your identity, what happens is you're trying to work your way to God, and that's impossible. It does nothing more for your salvation than sitting in a garage will make you a car. But when we try to do things by our own power, through our activity, rather than having our identity set in the first place, that's essentially what we're doing. We've got to get our identity first. And this does not mean, and and I think we've all heard it, that you have to be perfect for God to use you, or you've got to get your life together for God to use you or move in your life. Hey, the church here, man, it's full of broken people. People who have hurting, who've gone through doubts, worries, depressions, anxieties, pain, and suffering. And guess what? God doesn't say, you've got to get it all fixed for me to use you. He says, I'm going to use you in spite of that. Because my grace is better than that. Man, the gospel is that. The gospel is that Jesus came and he lived the life you could not live. And he died the death that you deserve so that you could have life. And he rose from the grave, conquering hell, death, and the grave. And stands with the arms wide open, ready to welcome you into the family of God. It says, if you believe, then the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man, you can place faith in Jesus right now by doing that. And if not right now, by today. I don't want you to leave here today without placing faith in Christ if you never have. I want you to get your identity set in the first place. I'd be happy to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. All the pastors here, the prayer team, anyone here would be happy to tell you about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord of your life. But you've got to get your identity correct first. Because of the gospel, we act this way. Because you have your identity in Christ, this is how Christians are supposed to live. A worthy life that's humble, gentle, patient, and bears with one another in love. And all that's necessary because you're part of the family of God. And guess what? Families fight, families disagree, and families have weird uncles. And if you're sitting here saying, I don't know who the weird uncle is in my family— It's you, and we love you anyways. But man, family is important, and as Christians, you're part of the family of God, united under the blood of Jesus. Man, that's who we are as Christians. And this matters because God wants to maintain unity and peace within his family. And he's given you as Christians the job not to keep it or develop it or grow it, but just to maintain it. But that's not always easy. And that's why it's important to walk in in a manner worthy of the gospel. I know how hard it is to keep unity and peace in a family. I grew up with two brothers. And one of my brothers ran me over with a golf cart one time because he didn't like something I said. And the other hit me with a brick because I ate ate the last fudge round or something like that. And growing up with two brothers, you understand what it's like to try to keep peace and try to keep unity. But in the church, man, I really hope we ain't running running each other over with golf carts. But the way we keep unity in the church and peace is by living a life worthy of the calling to which we've been called a humble life, a quiet life, a life that is service, gentle, patient, and that's only found through having your identity in Christ, which we see as Paul continues in verse 4 through 6, where he says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Man, unity in the church is not found in politics or power. It's not found in anything you would have imagined. In a culture that seeks to divide over everything, because if you look at the news, you know that. In a culture that seeks to divide over everything, unity in the gospel overcomes disunity in the world. And this is really important for us to know. Because as a family, we all bring in different hurts. We all bring in different ideas, disagreements, thoughts, and man... We all bring our crap with us every time we come to the door. And as a family, unity in the gospel is central because we're bound together by the the blood of Jesus. And think about what it speaks to a lost and dying world when they look in the church and see something dramatically different in the world. When they look at the church and see people who love one another who bear each other's burdens, who care about the community, who care about the orphan and the widow, who care about the one who's hurting, who's reaching out to the community to provide meals for the hungry, clothes for the unclothed, and seeing what it's really like to care for people from womb to the tomb. But this unity only comes through the gospel. And Paul continues and says this, verse 7 through 13. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? That he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift, and you did nothing to earn it. It's something God has just given you, a gift you have freely been given. And as a Christian, you are gifted both for God's glory and your good. God has given every Christian a spiritual gift to those who have placed faith in Christ to be able to walk in the calling to which he's called you to. When God fills you and gives you a spiritual gift, it allows you to experience him not just working for you, but in you and through you. Listen, a gift is something you'll enjoy and thrive in. But a gift, your spiritual gift, is different than a talent. You know, talents are given to you when you're born. Spiritual gifts are given when you are born again. And talents and spiritual gifts are a little bit different. Like, talents were given when you're born. Spiritual gifts are given when you're born again. And figuring out how God has wired you and what your gift is may be super easy. Like Kevin Bedard. Like, dude has the gift of encouragement. If you've been around him for about five minutes, you know Pastor Kevin KB has the gift of encouragement. So I was on the Baltimore trip helping lead it a couple of years ago, and we were dealing with some crazy things. Um, and I was just frustrated, irritated, and you could just tell I was not having a great day. So me and Pastor Kevin were sharing a room at the Agape house, which was really a conference room. So my bed was, my, not bed, Blow-up air mattress was on one side of the conference table. His was on the other. And so I walk in, and I'm frustrated. And Kevin's just sitting there reading his Bible, and he looks up at me and goes, hey, brother. Just smiles. And then he makes fun of my iPad because it was dirty. And then he's like, I hope you're having a great day. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not. Leave me alone. Um, (laughs) So I walk out, and I'm just doing my own thing. And that night I come back. And on my pillow is a little note It was from Kevin, this man encouraging me, saying how he was praying for me. He had cleaned my iPad because he said it was really dirty and had a little sticky note of a smiley face on it. And I look over and he's just snoring like a log. I mean, he's just out. But dude has the gift of encouragement. And I don't know how God has gifted you, but it might be something you're strangely good at or something other people see you as being really good at. And it might be super easy for you to realize or it might not be easy for you to realize. Like I realized and about middle school, that my spiritual gift was not singing. My mom thought it was, because growing up, I used to sing Garth Brooks and Kenny Chesney in the back of the car as we were going down the road. However, when you're standing in church singing with a bunch of middle schoolers, and they all look at you and say, stop. Um, you find out really easy that the way you sing is what the Bible refers to as a joyful noise. And so I realized real quick that singing is not my spiritual gift. Figuring out your spiritual gift might not be easy, but what a better place to figure it out than within the family of God. Man, really, what a better place to figure out how God has wired you than here in community with others. Because serving in the family of God is a place to stretch, to succeed, and fail. And guess what? Failing at something, totally okay. And I want you to fail. Because when you fail at something, it allows you to realize, hey, either I'm not wired for this at all, or I just need to grow in it a little bit. And what a better place to do that than here around other believers who love you, care about you, and are in this with you. Then you have to discover and use your gifts both for God's glory and your good. As a Christian, man, do you, you know that Jesus saves you. But do you live daily with the fullness that He is using you? Man, I'm going to be honest with you here. The reason you may feel bored spiritually in your Christian walk may be because you're not using your gifts. It may be because you're not living daily with the fullness that God is the one empowering you through the Holy Spirit. Man, if you're like me, you've heard people say, being a Christian is boring. I'd say if someone's saying being a Christian is boring, they're probably just not using their gifts on a regular basis. Gifts of the Holy Spirit have been given to you to be used, not just stored in the closet like that old crock pot you got at your wedding from your great aunt. Like, they're not to just be stored and put away, but to be used, to be worked out, to be fleshed out. It's like unused spiritual gifts they are kind of like a birthday cake that just sits on the counter that no one eats. Like, it ain't good for the birthday person. It ain't good for anybody else in the room. But that's kind of what it's like when you have a spiritual gift and you're just not using it. It's just sitting idly by, and it's no benefit for you when God's empowered you with it. You know, you have to develop in your spiritual gifts. You have to use them like a muscle. And guess what? As you're growing in your gifts, God is maturing you into the image of Christ. As you're serving and using the gifts and calling God has given you, grows you to be more like Jesus. And that's really what a lot of this passage is talking about. Man, but before we continue talking through this, I want to have a quick sidebar about verse 11 and 12, which says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Hey, this might rub some of you the wrong way. And if it does, you can email me at Griffith at Church.com. And God has given from this text the apostles, the prophets, the shepherds, the evangelist te- teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Now, the apostles and prophets were given to the first century church to help them get their, get their going, help them get, get rolling, and their gifts ceased. They were foundational gifts for the church. But the work of the apostle and prophet of, of, of proclaiming God's word to the church continues through the pastors in the church. Now, there are evangelists, like people who are super gifted at sharing the gospel. Like, think Billy Graham. But God has also given shepherd teachers. I think of it shepherd and teacher as one word because in the original Greek, the two words are connected and are basically one word. But we also refer to these, the shepherd teachers, as pastors. And they've been given to the church. And let me make this clear. Not to do ministry. The pastors here are not here to do ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Listen, the pastors here, Pastor Steve and the rest of them, are not the ones who are supposed to be doing ministry here. The job of the pastor is not to do the ministry. Ministry leaders are called by God to be equippers, not doers. Who's the one that should be going to the hospital to visit the sick? Who's the one that should be bringing food to the neighbor, caring for the hurt, caring for the poor? And it's not supposed to be the pastor's. It's supposed to be you. It's the person in the pew, not the pastor in the pulpit. Pastor J.D. Greer said, when I became a pastor, I left the ministry. And every pastor has kind of done that. When they stepped into being a pastor, they essentially stepped out of ministry and into an equipping role. Where their job is not to be doing the ministry, but helping you do ministry. And yet, yeah, they're going to continue to do ministry alongside of you. Because they love the church. And they love the people. They're going to continue to love, care, support, and do everything every Christian is going to do. Because they're a believer. They're just like an ordinary Christian, just like every other person. But also, they've been given a role to equip you to do ministry. Pastors, as long they, they are hired and called to do ministry to you and with you, but they have never been called to do ministry for you. And let me say that again. They've been called to do ministry with you and to you, but they have never been called to do ministry for you. The saints, you are the ones who've been called to do the ministry. Every single member here is a minister. And God has fully equipped you and prepared you to do ministry. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, if you're a Christian, God has prepared ministry for you to do and empowers you through the Holy Spirit to do it. God has filled you for ministry, and the role of the pastor is to teach you how to discover what God has equipped and empowered you to do and encourage you to go and do it. That's what God's called them to do here, and this doesn't just happen on Sunday. Ministry isn't just a Sunday thing. It's 24-7, 365 every day of the week. That's what God has called you to do. But when you're here and you're serving on the weekend, that's a major part of how you grow, how you mature in Christ, how you use your spiritual gifts. But if all you're doing, and let me just and let me just lay this out. If all you're doing is just coming here every single weekend and just attending, you have got to understand that this, this gathering right here, isn't the game. Like in football, this ain't the game. This is the huddle. Where you get the play, you're encouraged, empowered, and you're sent to go play the game. And you're not called to just sit here every week and just enjoy the huddle. But sadly, many churches in America are like huddles, where they never get out and run the play. They come here every week and hear the pastor preach the word and encourage them and tell them, hey, this is a play. And instead of going and run it, they stand to the sideline and say, man, pastor, no one, no one calls plays like you. And that play that you just called, and it made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. You're the best play caller there ever is. And and then they sit there and analyze it all week, but they never run the play. They never do what God has called them to do. Guys, you gotta run the play. You got to use what God has called you to do and called you to be outside of this church. And Paul says this is extremely important because of verse 14 so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. You gotta run the play because you gotta grow up. There are people in churches all throughout America who have been baby Christians for 30 years. Man, baby Christians for 30 years. But there are people who have been Christians for five years who are older Christians in their walk because they plugged in, serve, and grow in their faith. And, but there are those who every week are comfortable just being lifelong baby Christians who never want to grow up in their faith. And Pastor Joby Martin of the Church of 1122 says this. He says, baby Christians, they show up with a Bible in one hand, a dirty diaper on, umbilical cord in the other hand, saying, feed me, feed me, feed me. I'm a baby Christian. This is where I plug in and give nothing. All I'm going to do is poo and cry. Man, and I don't know if that's you. And, and knowing this church, I would say it's m- m- most likely not. But man, if that hits, man, maybe the shoe fits but it fits in churches all throughout the world where people just come in every week to hear a message and do nothing with it. But listen, if you're a new Christian or you're not even a Christian, this ain't at you. Like plug in, get involved here, get in, like sit here, learn, grow, develop. Like we are excited that you're here. If you've been a Christian for a while, step in, step up. The way God is going to move here at OBC, in the community, and in the world, is not primarily through the pastor in the pew, but the saint in the seat. And that's how God is going to move in this world. It's not through Steve or anybody who stands here every week, but it's you, as you take the gospel from your neighborhoods to the nations. And because of that, you've got to understand that your gifts are for building the church. Verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is in the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow. So it builds itself up together in love. I mean, every believer is part of the body of Christ. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, which means called out ones. And the church is not a building and never has been. The church are the saints that are gathered together. It's you and me using your gifts for the glory of God. And we're all part of one body, one body in Christ. But everybody has different parts. And when you aren't using your gift, when you're not using your part, the body isn't functioning properly. Now, Christ is the glue that holds the body together, but every joint has a part to play. A Christian not serving and using their gifts is like a foot detached from the body. I don't know if you've ever seen a foot detached from the body, but it ain't good for the foot and it ain't good for the body. Like a foot detached from the body isn't going to be thriving and enjoying life. It's going to be dying. It's not going to be, and it's not good for the foot and it ain't good for the body because that body is going to be losing blood all the time. But every part, every joint has a role to play. Kind of like a football team. Man, you don't have nine quarterbacks or six running backs on a football team. You have a bunch of different people playing positions and every one of them has to play the position God has called them to do for the team to actually play and to play for the glory of God. No person has every calling, but every person has a calling. You have a calling. Like, I don't care how far or how, how much you don't believe God can use you. He can and He plans to. And He has a calling for your life. The question is, are you going to step into it? Are you going to allow Him to do it? And I can't sing. But there are people here who can. I don't do great with second graders, but there are people here who can. And the church is blessed by them. And I don't have the gift of encouragement. And some of you do. And you you dot your hearts with eyes. And if you're a dude, stop it. It's weird. <laughs> but you have that gift, and the church is blessed when we use our gifts together for the glory of God. Christian, if you're not playing the part, your part, it's not good for the body and it ain't good for you. Listen, you get the most joy and make the biggest difference when you use, use your God-given talents, gifts, and abilities to build the church. When you use your time, talent, and treasure for something more than just you. And when you play your role properly, the church grows and builds itself up. I don't know how an elbow builds up an ankle, but somehow it does. That's what Scripture says. But I think it happens when we're in community with one another. Because life change really happens in community. You know, Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen says, "Iron sharpens iron, as one man sharpens another." As we stir up one another to love and good works, as he- Hebrews ten, twenty-four says. So you're a Christian and you hear all that I've just said, and you're sitting here saying, "So what? 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 What now?" And here's my challenge to you today: Step off the sidelines and onto the front lines of ministry. Get off the sidelines, get into the game. step off the sidelines and into the front lines of ministry. Hey, the bottom line of this message is that every Christian believer, is that for every Christian believer, each one of us has to be involved in some kind of ministry. Being involved in ministry and serving in the church is necessary for your life. It's necessary for your growth. It's necessary for who God has called you to be. And this isn't just something we realize in the church. Even the secular world has realized it. Forbes magazine, which is like a really popular magazine and a great publisher and it's a really trusted resource. In 2020, published an article titled, Serving, and, and listen, this is a secular journal that said this. Serving others is as important as food and sex. The author said, if you're not happy, you're not serving. We were built to serve. It is in our human nature to want to help others. Humans are literally hardwired to help and serve others. And as true as this is for the non-Christian, man, it's even more true for the Christian because others get saved through your serving. I mean, as you create opportunities for people to hear the gospel and take the gospel with you, people get saved. Think about all that goes into making what's happening right now happen. All the people working, kids, students, production, prayer team, the band, everywhere else in the parking lot. Like, there was a dude who, when I got here before most of you did, was parking me. And I didn't even know what time he showed up. Like, think about what all goes in to make this happen. And when everyone's using their gifts and everyone's serving, it creates opportunity for people to hear the gospel. Guys, do you realize how insane, listen, how insane it is what God is doing here in Eden, North Carolina? Like I was telling some of my friends that I'm preaching at OBC in Eden and they're like, what can God do in Eden? I'm like, "Uh, well, he did OBC. That's what happened. (laughs) Like this is an oddity in the church world. Man, the average church in America is less than 75 people and is dying. But God is doing a work here that is indescribable, but it happens when we serve together. God is really on the move here and it's doing things when you serve. But also, dang, God didn't just save you to have you sit here week after week. God saves you to send you, to use you here in the church, but to also use you in the world. As a teacher, as a truck driver, A nurse, a student, a landscaper, a waiter, wherever you are, God wants to use you and send you from here to there, from your neighborhoods to the nations. The way he uses the way, he uses the way you serve here and in community to grow you, train you and do more through you than you could ever imagine as you take the gospel with you as you go from here. And this changes your life. I have so many stories where I've seen someone's life change and their families change and eternity change for people because they got plugged in and God did more through them than they could ever imagine because they realized they were made for more than just possessions and promotions. And those are just small stories of how God is moving and will continue to. As a Christian, if you want to be great and make an impact, serve. Step in, step up. Pastor Clint Darst in Greensboro says, the truly great leaders in the church are those who see themselves as servants of the one who humbled himself to the form of a servant. Heroism in the church looks like humble service. And that's what we're all called to do. Listen, my life was changed here. Not by perfect people but people who really believed that God could use them. And he did. And as much as my life was impacted by Pastor Steve, Ryan, Kevin, Jason, Layton, David, I know I'm missing names, and there's a bunch more of them, and all the pastors here, as much as God changed my life through them, you know who else influenced me a ton? People you have no idea who they are. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. And before I came out here, I was in the prayer room with the prayer team, and they were just praying over me. And I just was sitting here remembering, like, how God's moved in my life and what all he's done and the people he's brought to influence me, like Fay and May, who every year at VBS taught me what it's like to love people who aren't your family like, you're, like they're your family or Florence on the prayer team, who I used to sit beside every week at the eight o'clock service, who taught me to pray like it matters. Or Peanut, who showed me that God is still in control, even when it doesn't seem like it when we talk in the halls. Or Allison in the Switch Middle School ministry, who showed me what it's like to have a heart that cares for the nations and a heart that cares for those who don't have opportunity to hear the gospel. Man, or Tina on a mission trip to Puerto Rico who showed me what it's like to have a heart that breaks for the things that, break God's, that breaks God's heart. Or Chris, who taught me what it's like to serve behind the scenes and what it means to create opportunities for people when we serve together in the production team. Or John in the Collide High School Ministry who showed me that, it was, that no one is too far or too late for God to use them and change their life. Or Andres. Through friendship ministry, who showed me how to love life and love each other. Or Pete and Tammy and OBC kids who taught me how to pray that God would do the miraculous. Man, my life was changed here, not just by the pastors, but by the ordinary person that everyone would look over who really believed that God could use them and God can use you. Will you let him? Man, you were made for more than possessions and promotions. You were made to trade time for impact. You want to see your life change and the lives of others change for eternity? Man, step off the sidelines and onto the front lines of ministry. God is on the move. Will you let him move in and through you? Let's pray. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for the way you move for the way you lead, for the way you love, for the way you care. God, thank you for the way you're moving here at OBC. And God, I pray that you do more in and through us than we could ever imagine, not because of who we are, but God, all because of who you are. God, allow us to step off the sidelines into the front lines. God, use us in ways that we could never imagine. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.